by blood, not relation. Y'all be chased on, not replaced on. Drunk on Chris, mommy on E. Can't keep a little model. Once again, we're, we're here. At we're at it. We're at it with. Uh, Doing a little hacking, CCPs, kind of in a way. Yeah. I guess that that we could draw this one out, but we have a bunch of people here, man. So first of all, we got Ryan and myself, and our special pipe hitting friend today of CCPs yep. is one JJ. Yep. And yes. And in the background, yeah. we also have Brent Burr, Mark Shan, David. So I will start off with allowing Ryan and uh, to kind of introduce uh, JJ in the. Uh, what he brings to the table here on the CCP stuff, and and let let John talk about himself a little bit too. Yeah, why don't you go for it, JJ? Why don't you say hey to everyone? Tell us about yourself, man. Your childhood. Howdy. Allow myself to uh, introduce just, myself. My name is Howdy. So anyway, hi, I'm I'm John Johnson. Uh, just called me JJ. 18 Delta. Work over at the schoolhouse now. Met Ryan in the CCP, uh, in fact, that we're going to talk about now, yeah. and um, Sean not long after. Been doing this game for about. What, 17 years now, and I'm almost good at it, finally. <laughs> getting there, getting there. Hey, real quick, yeah. just because I'm going to interject because uh, my Adderall is going all over the place. Are you doing some stuff with, is it, how do you pronounce it? Because like, I'd like to promote this, man. The Is it Somsi? Is that how it's kind of yes. going by? So, yeah, yeah, that's that's the, uh, the right one. So Somsi is Special Operations Medic um, Collaboration, and basically it's a group of guys that we've kind of identified as smart dudes or at least dudes who've got some strong wit like myself who can understand what's going on and want to kind of help the community. So we've got some branches here. We've got training, community outreach, and research, and we're trying to take those three pieces, meld them together, uh, and kind of improve everybody's capabilities and force and mostly just recognize that we're all to the four winds and nobody can really um, get a lot of information past just the initial things. Like we'll, I think we actually talk about in your presentation here that we're redoing the we're making the wheel over and over again so now with that too um it looks like it's pretty cool so it's it's kind of a more recent kind of startup it looks like you guys are kind of partnered a little bit with the australian guys doing the journal too it's like an online uh, yep right on that's correct so there's uh the the jtam which is similar to like the JSON if you're familiar with that so yep. going to special operations medical journal they just kind of started their version and we're trying to help that piece out and kind of grow our research and and writing skill sets and experience across the board so yeah so we got that and then trying to think if there's anything else major that we we're pushing we will have a website up and running here soon but we just want to make sure that's a solid piece before we bring it to the to the people yeah i saw uh i saw ricky is in there too from 160th is associated Uh, with that that's awesome yeah, he's a he's a great asset. Um, Josh Perez from over in Marsoc is a big part of the uh, the big push here. He's kind of the brainchild behind it, um, and he's just basically brought in a bunch of pipe hitters and then me. So, <laughs> and I will say, man, I saw like the uh, intro when you uh, were brought in there. Picture of you, kind of bearded up, man. You look like an American freedom fighter, man. Yeah, I try every once in a while. Um, try to highlight also that I absolutely despise shoes. Yes, uh, you I know. Some, some nice notes, piece of information people need to know. Because you do waste about um, a month to two months of your life putting the shoes on. So. I, I saw that, Don't man. That. <laughs> Which no one wants to waste that, especially if you have any tendency towards ADHD, man. It's it's you can't waste that type of time, man. Exactly. Think of all the things you lose in that amount of time. Oh God. Like the yeah. keys in the fridge. Right. Oh yeah, everything. Yeah. Forget the flush toilet. Oh. <laughs> Yep. Just just because you chose to wear shoes, like chose to wear shoes. Yeah, yeah. fucking gay. Yep. And that's not even accounting for sock time. <laughs> that's a good point. That's valid. That's a valid point, man. And if you wear those finger toe things, like oh, oh good lord, yeah. oh, number yeah, one, yeah. that's a solid. Like that's four months. That is. <laughs> that's that's two months. Yeah, you know, you <laughs> basically just doubled your shit on that one, man. Uh, so we got uh, Adderall's on board, man. We got some dip. Uh, I'm not doing the monster. I'm rolling some lemon strike force. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. I feel like it's going So let's get this thing started. So cool. th- as a background type of thing, we originally were hitting this from TECC, uh, from Tactical Emergency Casualty Care. And what we found is on the civilian side, there was very little 
knowledge of how to work a CCP, the words. And a lot came. of confusion, like, trying to, like just to define it. Right. And, and so people knew, they knew the term and they throw it out like, oh, we'd make a CCP. But then when it came to like, hey, how will you acquire that? How would you manage your CCP? How do you evacuate from? It you became know, this like unicorn. No one knew. No one had SOPs. No one had anything. And so we we're kind of doing some stuff with Kevin Gerald at that point from NTOA where we just identify this as a huge gap. Then one thing kind of built on another, uh, Ryan, you're still active duty, but it recently, you know, had done some, this is years ago, uh, yeah. done some substantial CCPs. So we started putting some stuff together. And so I think whether you're DOD or you are civilian or you're doing this for a rescue task force for an active shooter, what we try to do is make it so we give you the principles, how you apply those principles <clears throat> is going to change for every team, right? Yeah. Because everybody's got different assets and or organic assets and things like that. You know, obviously a, a team in, in SOCOM or JSOC compared to, you know, some remote area in, in Colorado where, you know, an uh, active shooter takes place and your assets are extremely minimal. Just it's As the medic responding, it's like you have so many more variables that you can't account for. Right. You know? And so I think that's what we're going to try and try and dive into. I think as a background though, I, th- I think what we really need to be to do is identify and just come to grips with the fact that everything that you work on, there is no easy button on anything that we talk about, whether it's your response, whether it's setting up CCP, whether it's the evacuation that goes into, even when you get into uh, the treatment modalities necessarily for what you have. It's nonlinear, and I think everybody needs to just embrace that it's nonlinear. You can't predict everything. You can't sit there and and do a whiteboard and say this is how we are going to work a CCP and this shit's going to work single every time. single time. Run it like this. And you know the example we always give is you know what's what's the one way that you can do CQB? Just one way to do CQB all the time. And most people should look at you like you're you're an idiot because there's so many confounding issues uh, in there that's gonna that's gonna change the way that you're rolling on that, and a lot of that you have to adapt off the environment of what the environment gives you, and I think that's the big part of nonlinearity is people forget that the environment has a say in everything we do yeah. because you can't you can't predict what uh, that threat is going to be, and that threat can be more than somebody you know taking indirect fire or something like this. I mean that threat can go across the board on what your assets are and weather to this to that and with the unpredictability of it to say that this is how we're going to run it is stupid so when you're creating any kind of ttps um they've really got to be loosely coupled or you're gonna screw yourself man. yeah i mean like when you're talking about environment just like to explain that a little bit so you're kind of not just worrying about like the patient but you have like behavioral uh-huh. and then you also have like the threat that you have too that those are all constantly shifting right and so the things that you think that were working a second ago, like you have to be ready to switch gears, you know? And call audibles, and that's where your training comes in, right? Because yeah. if you train where you have all your assets all the time and you're working off your primary and you always have all the organic assets in the world and helicopters are always able to fly and this is always able to happen, you always have all these manpower things, that'll never happen in real world. You know, that shit just is... it things fall apart and if, if you have a tightly coupled system where you're completely dependent on something else that's when you get sucker punched and you just sit there like I'm screwed yeah. um, but being able to call audibles and go through your alternate contingency emergency type of stuff is, is huge you know and I, I don't think that really gets enough play into it uh, to, to steal from Taleb man I, I love that term that he says you know he calls it the platonic fold where when you deal with this this play-doh type of uh, platonicity where you always will have everything everything will work the way that you think it will when you're sitting around a a table designing stuff and patting each other on the ass because you're so badass uh that you know things will work out like they have you have all the assets in the world he describes the platonic fold is basically where the worlds collide is the explosive boundary where the platonic mind which is oversimplified enters in contact with messy reality where the gap between what you know and what you think you know becomes dangerously wide and it's here that you know the the unpredictable the black swan kind of arises and kicks you in the nuts. And I think when when you look at that, that's where most people lie right now. You know, I, I've got an idea of CCP. Maybe I've read an article or two about it, but it's probably in a very specific context. That doesn't mean that's going to work. You know, what worked in Virginia Tech isn't going to work in uh, Las Vegas, you know, for talking active shooter shit. You know? And like when you think about it too, like, you know, like if, you, if you're a lone medic and you've got your team, you're going in some place and one guy gets gets hit, gets shot, like, you can take care of that guy, you can move him out, and then kind of work through your medevac plan, but as soon as you have to establish a CCP, it's because things haven't gone as planned, you know? Mm-hmm. You're already in that environment where this isn't what you wanted to happen today. Yeah, exactly. You know, like... Exactly, so I think, you know, we just have to embrace the fact that 
nonlinearity and understanding complexity, complexity theory into a little bit of chaos is kind of a prerequisite before you start making SOPs. Uh, when you deal with units in SOCOM, right, that's just a given. But when we go outside into more of a civilian side, when they're trying to write things that are dictated by DHS and crap like that, things become much more linearized and it never works. And, and we like, can look at every event that's occurred. One of the problems is like if you're using like, you know, just let's say a SOCOM unit, right? Me as the medic with like my ODA, like or whoever it is, I know it's an IFAX, right? I pack those. I have a packing list. So I have 12 guys. They've got all this, you know, TCCC gear on them. I've got the stuff on my body. Like, I know that, right? Mm-hmm. So I can deal with a little bit more adversity because I know what's ahead of me. I know what's coming behind me. But if you start doing, like, going into, you know, like, law enforcement teams, writ teams, uh, civilian side, trying to establish it, they have no clue what's but, in front of them. It, exactly. You know, in some cases, I think even that, like, you try and control everything you can control going into it because there's going to be a whole big percentage that you can't control. And yeah. if, if, the, if you haven't got your shit in order, then... That those problems are going to be exponential when it comes into contact with the unpredicted yeah. type of events, and so you know being able to dictate what your team has, at least your team, and what assets they have in their IFACs, yeah. you know, will then start forming your medical loadout and how you're going to roll with things. It's kind of a, a big thing if like you're that TAC medic, like you need to start pushing for your department to be like, hey, like guys need these IFACs. This needs to be standard on people, just because like. And it's not necessarily what comes in the damn IFAC from yeah. from NAR, no. TMS or anything like this. Like you need to dictate like, like hey. So I, you know I need, exactly what's I in need there. two tourniquets, or I need three tourniquets in this IFAC. I need this, I need this. And you need to customize that thing and not just buy something commercially off the shelf. You need to dictate it for what your operational parameters and how your team makeup is. Yeah. And what you're training your guys to use because, I mean, that's how you're creating four small suppliers is getting your guys spun up on that IFAC and treating out of it. Because, like, when it comes down to it, like, the IFAC really is your primary mode of treatment, right? Like, right. You know, it's like you talk about like the priorities of treatment and self-aid, buddy aid, then medic, right? So everyone's got to work at that base level. And if they're not, then like you're kind of failing as a a team medic. Right. And then add the complexity of what you... Not only are you failing, but now you're you're putting your own life at risk. I mean, there's, as we said, there's no guarantees of who's getting hit or what's going on. So it could be you. Yeah. So just remember that too. Yeah. No, that's it. And then we add further complexity when we talk about the active shooter or we talk about the event that, uh, uh, you know, you and uh, JJ will talk about is now you're getting maybe non-military people you're getting civilians that are injured and things like that coming through your ccp you have no other thing so you know being able you're not working out of their ifac you're working out of your other gear and then trying to figure out you know where that stands it's it's hard to keep your your head above water so i think what we'll look at is we're just going to hit the kind of five w's and h on this one and hit on the what who where when why and a little bit on the the how uh without going into too great a detail so uh so one of the big things I love, like, is the uh, a CCP is a CCP attitude. Like talking about that, like, right. and they're not at all. But, you know, it's like you just can't. I mean, in theory, it is right. Like a CCP is just a control point. Like mm-hmm. it's something where assets are moving to, where people knows where it is when you make that call. But you know, it's like it really isn't because they all have their own nature and like different times of day. And like JJ will hit on this later. Like depending on what was going on, like you've seen different wounding patterns. Because of like different times of day, different, you know, a couple of days after something happened, things shifted. So it's like you just can't walk into it with like, yeah, I need X, Y, and Z, and here we go. And I think the CCP is a CCP attitude is, is that as somebody learns what a CCP is usually in some sort of basic trauma class, right, the blunt trauma, and they're like, hey, I'm going to handle this just like a, I'm going to do a CCP at a motor vehicle accident. Yeah. And it's like a nice glossy page, and right on the bottom, I think there's like the start triage. Sure, like I got, I I got tarps, something. I'm laying out yeah, tarps, right. it's like we cut off traffic, it's, it's freaking controlled, it's... Shit like Burt's teaches to his entry EMT students, man. He's over there just freaking Instagramming or some shit, man. Do you see him over there? His head's in his phone and stuff. Trying to, like, trying to help people and and talk about stuff. And, yeah, he's he's over that. But, yeah, that's what it is, right? You're in a good – it's almost a linear thing because you've controlled so many variables because your threat is blocked off with traffic. Now you can just go in, do whatever. You don't really have – too too many concerns where that's not the CCP like for an, an active shooter or something yeah, like that. It's ex- like exactly, um, and there's a bunch of other stupid shit that comes out that we'll probably talk about here and there uh, with these theories of uh, that dumbass the attack attack of vac inertia thing and which yeah. is it, one it's just an improper use of physics but um, yeah so the whole tack of vac inertia thing like I, you have like you have to explain where that kind of starter came from but yes. i was like laughing about it because like tactical inertia like in my mind if you're in a tactical problem you have nothing but friction which but, which you you're trying to resolve no, yeah. and you want to get like out of the friction right exactly to make it calm and happy and again. to get that you you 
need to get your head above water, get a CCP, be able to get an idea of what you have. Um, so it's almost a counter. It, it, it's almost like you should probably use something like entropy or something like, like that. Tactical to, inertia, like in a, in a military term, I'd be like calling it like regaining the initiative. Like something's yeah. happened that you lost it, and now you got to get it back. So there's never. But the problem is, is the point in what this person says is one. Yeah, I got it, man. They've never worked a CCP or whatever. It was it was very theoretical in nature, but. The big part about it is he felt like doing a CCP slows you down yeah. and doesn't get people evacuated out quick enough. Yeah. But the whole point is you're doing this for a, an, a mass casualty, yeah. which means you don't have the support system to handle to, to handle that with all the evacuation assets right there on hand, right? So it, it's stupid. I, I hate even bringing some stuff like that up. But so when we get into this, um, let's hit it. When we talk about CCPs, it's demystified. So all right, so let's. I think JJ, like, let's talk about. How we first met, our first date. When your eyes met for the first time. The first time. Were you? Did you have a yeah. beard then, JJ? It was glorious. Did you have a beard? Um, I, I had a baby beard. It was it was beard, but it was it wasn't quite as manly as it as it became. Okay. And not that I was overly manly at the end, but yeah, you know, it's a small beard. Okay. Um, and so I met Ryan, and um, he presented me with uh, an opportunity uh, after I'd worked with a couple other guys to basically win the lottery and go run a temporary CCP that I was. If you want to give your vision, I can give you. I can let you do that, Ryan. Yeah. And I can tell you what I thought your vision was, um, and then we can. Kind so of kind of go like from there. That's up the until the point where you know we we were deployed and we were kind of fighting a, a major offensive, and there hadn't been a successful establishment of a CCP for the forces that we were working with to kind of come through and get back to the hospital. Uh, and so when I got there, like I, I don't know how it happened, but the order was for like these big expensive generators for the hospital and like vent machines. And then, like, from everything I saw, like, dudes are dying in the back of trucks with, like, no tourniquets, no bandages. So I kind of ixed that, ixed that whole order. And that like, was prior to the offensive. That was prior to it, yeah. And, like, and we had to scramble trying to get IFACs for them. And, like, they had no medical gear. So we had some good terrain that kind of forced them through a couple locations. And that's where we kind of initially set up, won that CCP as we kicked off a, a major, you know, conventional war type thing. Um, and we were going to be supporting the guys moving forward and assisting them. And then... We had a, they had told us we're gonna have a whole ODA that's gonna be able to kind of fill in the back and run the CCP. Well, that ODA ended up being like, what was it? Just like you and two guys, JJ, for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It was, so it was me. Um, we had, occasionally would have like one other, one or two other guys that hung out with me, um, and then basically all the uh, Kurdish Red Crescent guys or whoever was available in that general region. Um, a couple of different like Red Cross or whatever's that would just randomly show up. So yeah, yeah it was awesome. So kind of like my vision was like these guys are dying because they don't have tourniquets, bandages, and the hospital from there was like an hour and a half drive away. So I was like, if we can at least have some coalition forces there to at least save some of these things that can be treated, like that would be great success. Like that would be like leaps and bounds ahead of like what had been happening up until that point. So that was like my vision. Kind of met JJ like maybe what was it like a day before we started? <laughs> Yeah, you gave me a you gave me a whopping uh, I think thirty four hours if I remember my notes correctly. So that was awesome. And and here's the vision that I that I understood that I thought I knew from you basically was hey go set up a CCP um, again using the, these terms that have definitions but don't. Uh, so that was awesome. And so I, I pictured you just needed some security, uh, mostly be done externally by one of the indigenous forces there. Then somebody would be checking out the vehicles before they got to me. I, I understood that they had ambulances, so that was cool. Um, so I thought they'd be identified. And then my favorite of the whole selling point was, don't worry, JJ, it's only going to be like three to five, max of 12 patients. You'll be here for two days. No big deal, bro. You got this. Here's my tough box full of class eight. I got to go, um, which was awesome. <laughs> I would, I'm going to go kill people. See you in a couple days. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so a shit sandwich. So Ryan hands you a shit. Yeah. 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 And, and just disappears into the desert. It was, it was beautiful. So, <laughs> awesome. It, it's basically, if you've ever listened to any of License to Ill, that's basically what it was. So oh, he had man. a wiffle ball bat and he was on his way. So <laughs> it was sweet. Ryan comes in just like, uh, just like the very first Beastie Boys video breaks the beer bottle over his head and fucking yep. starts getting on it that's perfect man i can yeah. see that okay awesome so why don't you go ahead and kind of talk through like the what happened how it progressed and so was it more than more than like 12 patients i think he had like 20 maybe 20 yeah. at most yeah okay yeah. 20 20 ish you know so um yeah so in total just to kind of 
to phrase this off, uh, 2,400 patients um, roughly. After, and that's um, – we didn't count everybody because we just – Forgot to sometimes. You're welcome. Um, so I got that skill. And math, yeah, math isn't my skill set. So apparently it's also not Ryan. So good news. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so basically the the vision I had was all right, I have this concept of what CCPs are, right? And we talked about it a little bit already. So I knew I needed some certain things like security, organization, pliable, like location. Um, and then I had to kind of know how long I was going to be there. So what I thought is okay, I've got the security piece covered. We kind of talked about that a little bit. Indigenous force taking care of the outside. Uh, I'll take care of the inside. Um, I didn't find a few things that I that I did know that no matter what I needed, right? And I use everything. I, I joke all the time that we're land pirates, um, so everything goes under land pirate code, which means you follow it until you don't, which is kind of like what we're talking about. So security was, you know, lax on the outside probably because it's not me controlling it, but relatively tight inside. I made sure I had one entry point for the patients so that. I could kind of guide them to where I wanted them, and I had one exit for me to either run away and taunt somebody a second time or to get rid of some of the expired patients because I didn't want to um, do dead storage, basically. So, Not your so that's kind of how I had that. Yeah, exactly. So so that's why I didn't do it because there's no fucking sign in the front of my yard. <laughs> so, as far as, so as far as organization goes, um, I started off with two litters because that's what I had, and then I... I knew that even though Ryan promised me it would be only three to five, I, I didn't know how many it would be, but I didn't think it would be that small of a number. So put some stuff out on the floors and just kind of organized it and started off with hanging bags because that's kind of what I've been trained and that's what I understood would be a good idea to be able to pack up and move away if I needed to quickly. Um, so we got hanging bags on the side. I've got uh, IV poles on the litters that I do have, all my standard March stuff, and we kind of go through and, and go from there. Uh, so things I learned quite quickly. One, nothing's as it seems, right? So within, I think, we, we don't know for sure. The legends have grown, so I'm going to, everybody says 20 minutes, so I'm going to say two hours of me opening the first tough box. We received our first mass cow. So there we are. I described a mass cow because it was 10 patients, and it was me and one other dude who knew how to do first aid available at the time that would be the criteria yeah yeah so that's just kind of to phrase that so then so we go through that um what we realized quickly is um, a couple things one this concept that your triangle or octagon or magnetron or whatever it is shape you think you're looking for to put all your patients in so you know who's expectant and who's immediate and who's whatever usually goes to shit nobody was where they're supposed to be i had no idea who was worse off than the next guy and I just had to kind of treat somebody as long as I could before I could walk away and go to the next guy and treat them as much as I could so the lessons learned for that for me was stop trying to think in shapes and these linear patterns and just stand by the door or whatever entry point you've got and eyeball each guy as he's walking through get a quick couple of seconds of talking to a guy that's carrying him um, and then just watch where he lands and then the next guy comes through and do the same thing because once he's down on the ground moving him around and moving him to because he's not in the right part of your shape is a waste of energy a waste of time um, and adds complications so for me that's kind of the things I, I started to learn there um, so that's kind of the identifiability and the organization combo so, the, also so the with that like basically that. like with that what you're saying is like you're not looking at the shapes to do it but your shape was the wave that the people were coming in yeah the influx, yeah absolutely the flow. Yeah. Because they're coming in these these ebbs and flows as much as as you can kind of sort of predict, and you, so you're trying to figure out what's going on, what what's treating them, and you can kind of see in, in this case there's patterns. So it's not actually shapes, but there are patterns. Like okay, this guy got um, blown up by a mortar. Well, they tend to not take out only one guy, so let's find all the guys that come there, and there's you can kind of understand the variability of how close to said mortar they were from how burnt they were, and that will give you an indication of how bad he is. But yeah, so so patterns um, and ebbing and flowing. So, but yeah, so then from there we kind of just move into some other understandings of of better ways to focus on this. One, don't get sucked into trying to to organize them; just take care of them. And then two, have a plan of how to get rid of them when it's time. Stabilize, stabilize, and, and transport, and know where they're headed. Because that's something else I don't I didn't really talk about, but that's why I don't like this whole tacky back inertia thing. Like, yeah. there's no control of where they're going. Exactly. <laughs> right? Like, great. They're going. 
to where? Because <laughs> they're going to be carried by somebody who doesn't know how to treat them in the opposite direction of the medic. Usually not a good plan. No, and you, you know, um, you, I want to interject here, but that, like, from a civilian side, you know that's happened a lot. And if you look at like even Aurora, just um, throwing guys, people were just getting tossed in there. No one knew the injury, so you just as easily toss somebody that was dying in as you would somebody complaining loud enough about their injured toe, a rolled ankle, and then they would be just be gone with no accountability. So you have no idea where they're going. But on top of that. The incoming for the civilian side, the incoming hospitals, the hospitals have no idea that they're coming. Shit. And so they're getting this wide array yeah. and literally having to work a mass cow at a hospital because and triaging all over again because no one's been triaged. They've just yeah. been tossed in and gone. And it just added just this whole other level of complexity. It's but like, uh, do you yeah. throw this guy with a broken leg and into the OR? Or you know, it's like, oh, well, yeah. there's a multi system trauma patient coming in 10 minutes. Like, shit, we fuck that up. Or if you don't even know yeah. it, you know, yeah. and next thing you know, they get yeah. in the corner because there's no accountability. No yeah. one knows anywhere where anybody he's going and, and no one's talking to the hospitals or anything like this so yeah it's confusing yeah exactly it was it is, and it is very confusing right so you're already in a like, relatively state of confusion um and then it increases it but and so what i would see with our case too is i don't necessarily control what hospital they're going to um at least definitely not in the beginning and i don't know anything about that hospital so what i started to learn is uh a lot of these hospitals are also having trouble triage so i go through the triage and i treat him and we put him in an ambulance that I could use on somebody that's useful uh, to get treated. And he's going to go to another hospital and start that process all over again. So there's the communication piece. Like That's why you need things like CCPs and communication with the next guy, you know? Because otherwise, you're just repeating the problem. You there kind of broke up, man. So, yeah. Yeah, sorry. I don't know what just happened there. I just heard my – I'm still hearing myself in the echo. That's awesome. Um, you guys hear me pretty well still? Yeah, we got you. We got you. So Yeah, so um, where do you want me to go from there? I can well, I was going to say real quick, talking, just to throw it on, and then we'll kind of put everything into context. So, you know, the points I think that we came up with for the groups out there, regardless of agency and all, is, you know, what is a casualty collection point is really it comes down, it's a pretty easy one. It's, it's a control measure, yeah. right? It's, it's where you can hopefully yep. get an idea of what the hell you're even dealing with, what numbers you're dealing with, and, and what other assets you may have to call early and things like that. Um, it's a tool to create uh, clarity and complexity or chaos uh, to just get your head above water. It's a critical point in the continuum of care, obviously, yep. uh, for the reasons that we kind of just discussed. Uh, it gives that priority of who's really injured, who's really not, and what can you, you know, where can you make a difference. Uh, step-off location, which you can kind of talk off here, and a common point of link-up between systems. Um, you know, on the civilian side, obviously, that is that's where the worlds collide. And you know, at that CCP is where law enforcement, fire, EMS, rescue task force, and you know, command somewhere in there is all now having to make decisions and work together. And and without that, things kind of get kind of goofy. So you know, with the principles versus practices, the I think the common things which you just hit on a bunch of them is you know what's common to your CCPs one is obviously security, security. Yeah. you know easy identification so people that are bringing people to you or moving people to to create some sort of organization, I guess, um, knows where to go. Command and control integration is, is huge, especially on the civilian side. An effective workspace, right? Yeah. Because you run out of that really quick. And where, you see you a know, classic picture of a, a VT in this, the, the stairwell. stairwell. Yeah. Right, which will hold like maybe two people at most, right? I think as a kind of a, a big point, too, is like if, if you don't rehearse these a lot, and uh, I think what you need to do is that medic on the ground, is sometimes you'll have that tactical point where like someone gets hurt and you start treating them. Or, you know, you see them, and then if someone sees you on the ground treating this guy, they're going to assume it's a CCP, right? Yeah. So, like, if, if you're that medic and you're on your tag team or whatever and you start treating this guy, like, look, be like, hey, this is not the CCP. I'm just patching this guy up and we're going to move him. Like, cause right, I, all of a sudden you're just going to have people ditched at you. Dropping dead bodies on you. Right. You're like, shit, yeah. now I'm in the stairwell. This really blows. I've had- and I think a lot of times they don't understand, like, that continuum of care. Like, a, a, even at a CCP, a real one, like, I still am only fixing you enough yep. and then you need to go further on so i can receive the next group of guys that need fixed enough yeah yeah i think that's a big thing is like it is all like the the younger medics and stuff like as you're training this as you're rehearsing make sure that you have that verbiage in the back of your mind like hey uh this is whoever i am at this location treating so and so i will be moving to the ccp on you know south side building one but like make sure that they know that this is not a ccp because before you know it you're gonna start getting a shit sandwich yeah i think when we talk about too um it being a control point 
just for everybody's fidelity on here, you have a lot of different control points. Mm-hmm. And, and one, you know, it should be thought as of something just as similar as a breach point, right? Which is your control uh, for entry to teams enter and exit buildings. Your HLZs are control where air assets meet up Link with personnel. Up with ground force. Your fallout points, right? If you find you know an IED or, or anything like that, to kind of your go to shit spot that you uh, that you hit, and then your CCPs, your control of flow of patients, medical personnel, and supplies, man. Yeah, right. It makes it kind of sound simple, but let's not make it too simple. Yeah. It won't meet a good SOP. But <laughs> we need a nice, complicated SOP. Yes, yeah. it's very hard to understand. But yeah, the purpose of the control point is to guide teams to the right area. You know, and they're very important in those ambiguous type yeah. of areas. Uh, they allow teams to regroup, reorganize, and regain hopefully some sort of initiative for a tactical, medical, and, and rescue problems. So yep. cool. All right, yeah. what next there, Ryan? I think going in as far as personnel too, man. If you if you look like on seventeen, there were everybody involved. You know, uh, yeah, I think needs to have a capability. Yeah, like as you bring people into there, like it gets confusing. So if you're not actually working on the problem, and JJ, you can speak to this too, but like you want all like non-essential people out of there because the more yeah, people touching yeah. doing stuff, the more like your supplies and your plan gets screwed up. And, and everything goes away, yeah. So I definitely – that was one of the other things I probably should have talked about is um, very early on I I attempted to do the hard no, like nobody comes in and sees the wizard. Um, but that doesn't really work, so I couldn't turn away all of the, like, escorts for lack of better terms. Yeah. So the patients would come in and they usually have a buddy with them um, at least, sometimes usually six. So I got to the point where I could at least get only one escort comes with you, which turns out beneficial for me. Because most of these guys need blood and need it right now. Uh, so I just got that escort involved in giving his blood. Now uh, he's emotionally involved and he's also on the ground and out of my way. Um, but yeah, just controlling that outside factors. Like if you don't know what you're doing, if you don't know medicine, don't do anything. Because either A, you're going to make it look like something happened to this guy and I'm going to miss it. Or B, you're going to do worse than you should have. And it, now you just complicated my, my mess. So just stay out of the way. Uh, keep as few people in the area because that goes back again to your effective workspace. Uh, you run out of space really quickly. Yep. Uh, yeah, and, so. and like in the command and the control of the whole thing, like you have to own it and run it. It's like really funny. I think it maybe it was like the the second or third three days when we came back and saw you at the CCP. It's like we showed up and JJ's there and like Ranger panties, flip flops with a big cigar, like young and everybody in Arabic. <laughs> I was like, man, badass. He's doing some Green Beret shit, man. But it's like, you gotta, if you're there and it's your thing, like you gotta control it. You gotta step up and you know, you gotta kind of figure out that, I guess, I mean, the, the whole like UW side of it too, like winning hearts and mind. And it's like, you know, you gotta take care of the civilian population and the military, even though I know at some point they didn't want you to see civilians. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was interesting enough. That's another thing I wrote down that I, I didn't mention about like what you kind of told me or what I understood you wanted me to do. Right. So you got me there and, and I understood there would be like two patient types. Right. So I got the indigenous force and I've got coalition U S force. Uh, there's actually, turns out about six, maybe even seven types of patients. So you had, um, indigenous force that's broken down into like a couple of different, um, uh, religious and or ethnic backgrounds. Um, and they all, hate each other or hate each other enough. So it's, it's important now, but it's not important later to, to get along. So that kind of deciphers the priority of patients that I start seeing, um, not because I care, but because somebody's slowing them down from getting to me. And um, then we had civilian population, same kind of breakup. Um, and then we have the coalition U.S. Uh, and then they all kind of have their own agendas and only things that come through. So so that was an interesting factor. And I remember at one point in time, um, after ordering like three generators worth of Curlex and Ryan having to visit and be like, is this really, are you for real, John? And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> basically, basically having to talk with him and be like, Hey, I know that you told me not to do this, but I'm usually here by myself or with like two other guys. I'm a pretty decent shot, but I'm going to run out of bullets. Um, and they're going to, really affect me if I, I don't start treating and taking care of the people around. And, and as the word got out, uh, I think he's got written down here. So like two days after um, the offensive, like we just noticed that everyone knew, I don't know how they knew people who didn't have TVs, who didn't know that whether or not we landed on the moon knew where I was and they knew me by name and they were here to, to get treated for their, you name it, meningitis, um, dengue fever, gangrene and or cerebral palsy uh, to the point where I actually came within minutes of birthing a baby. Uh, <coughs> uh, so, yeah. That not, was, not you yourself? Get everything. 
No, I didn't actually birth it myself, I guess. I was going to deliver it. But, oh, right you know. That's yeah. cool. They, they said they're going to name it John, so we got that going for us. That's so cool. One, one person out there that should not have the name John that will. So. <laughs> there we go. And that's something to kind of keep in mind, too, is like, I mean, it's like I didn't even, like, you know, like now looking back, it's like, wow, man, like the whole nature of the offensive and how things were going. Like, we probably could have predicted that, you know, like the displaced population the cities we're moving through were getting pushed out. They're going to be malnourished, hurt, tired. And eventually they're going to be falling back looking for care, you know, but like hey, looking at wasn't it. wasn't your problem, Ryan. That was John. Yeah. yeah. Did problem. yeah I was there to catch him. You know, I appreciate it. Uh, yeah. and we, but we did have a good time with it. And I would, it was interesting because I could actually not completely predict um, to, the, to the exact location because people kind of exaggerate. But I could basically, judging by how long they said it took them, where they said they lived, and what injuries they had, know where everybody else was. Like, yeah. I didn't even need a radio. I was like, oh, okay, this is where this is where these people are at. This is where these people are at, uh, just based on wound pattern and time. So, um, yeah, so you can just learn. You can do a lot command control-wise simply just by paying attention to what's going on in your CP. Nice. So I think one of the things, too, is is uh, to hit on that has relevance onto the civilian side, too, is, like, you know, who starts the CCP and, you know, for – for civilian active shooter type of stuff, you know, that's th- going to be a tactical decision that that you need to have some heads up dudes in law enforcement that that tell you that understands the points that you need. Right, I, I need to be able to provide security here. I need a simple way in, easy marking system, a way to kind of have a, a if shit goes awry, a quick evacuation from there. Uh, whether that's because of the safety inside that structure or just to get people out quicker to, to transport assets. And be able to to be able to incorporate the 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 command and control integration and things like this, but but in the end, you you were the only medic there for a little bit, right? You had just some some of your operators with you, some of your guys with you. Is that correct, JJ? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, pretty much on a regular basis, just me. Yeah. So when so. you look at like who's going to run that. That's one of the things that you see all the time in these strict SOPs is, like, you're going to have X amount of medics with X amount of fire guys and this and that. And well, it even gets more asinine with, like, okay, well, we need the active shooter medical kit. Right. Like, all these different, like, yeah. things that aren't, like... <laughs> yeah, that's like this a, kit? Yeah. yeah, that's a point. Like, I mean, it's like, if it's not your normal stuff that you train with every day, like, it's got no place being thrown to chaos. Exactly. And that's what I think San Bernardino did a great yeah, job. Like, they ran it like they do day-to-day shit. Yeah, like, like I think at some point they're like, yeah, we just dropped the stupid active shooter kits and just grabbed our regular med bags. I mean, they just worked out of yeah. what they work out of and you know you have to have the ability to improvise obviously uh on those type of things also until you get more assets in or, or more equipment in but who you know you need every team out there needs to train you know from the civilian side um for anybody being able to start that ccp even if it's if it's a first responder law enforcement yeah. right uh being able to do that which technically was the hasty ccp at san bernardino yeah but i mean who it could be freaking anybody and to think that you're going to have another medic there or somebody else there to be bouncing that stuff off you need to be prepared to work on a bunch of patients and you know all you need to do is look at some of the aars of, of some of the events that occurred in the active shooter events over the past 20 years to get some numbers on, on what you think you want to be able to handle and you need to train for it you need to train with one medic with you know, a room full of 10 hurt people and, and, you know, maybe four or five people that are moderately hurt, but still making a lot of noise and, you know, all this chaos and be able to, to do it, man, to engage it and make a difference, you know? Um, but the who everybody says it's, it's dedicated to who's going to run our CCP. It's going to be EMS. It's going to be fire department. We're going to bring him on on a warm zone team and all this. Not really, man. No. Like you can't expect that to, to happen in real life. You That's know? a lot of like, I mean, we've got a, uh, we'll attach this, uh, PowerPoint up to the oh gosh uh oh to this podcast, it. but Sean's got this great thing that he broke up of all the uh, assets that end up into the problem, you know, and it's just it's just yeah. a lot of moving pieces that just create chaos and uncomfort. Yeah, which which makes sense. Yeah, and I will say like it's good. Eventually, once you get there, whether you set it up or somebody else set it up, whoever knows what they're doing the most, eventually just need to take charge, put their flip flops and and cigar in their mouth and, and take charge. So that there is one point of focus, but but yeah, whoever starts it does. That doesn't matter. Yeah, and you can't trust that it's going to happen the same every time. Yeah, I think yeah. we talked a little bit about the the kind of when and and why, but I think you know getting that CCP established or once you know you have a decent amount, you know you have a certain tipping point of patience for your response I think is is just critical. Is it's not something that usually it's a because people aren't that familiar with implementing it. They haven't 
they don't know like oh well what time we do this and if you look at what I, I keep going back to San Bernardino just because the SWAT lieutenant there did such a good job is yeah, he, he did it, it immediately man yeah. and he's like hey when you go inside that room anybody that you find that's still alive bring him out to me and uh, and he split the the law enforcement response up where normally we just have cops flooding an area and literally running into each other uh, yeah. you got enough guns in there man like you know what you, what you need is the ability to evacuate people potentially in what they consider a, a hot zone uh, in the civilian side and get them out of there to start that movement to some sort of medical tiered protocol response type yeah thing exactly where things start to make sense a little more right so from there I th- now go ahead man yeah I was just thinking man like kind of hit all the the five w's and uh, gave some context kind of on it. Yeah, we're going to put um, a, a presentation, a PDF presentation on there that you can kind of use that goes into a little bit better detail, uh, especially for the civilian model that we'll have on the uh, blog page for or the podcast page for Ele- on Element that you can kind of follow around that'll probably give a little bit more fidelity or down to the minutia on some of this. But one thing I was going to ask you know, Ryan and JJ on this one is you always see what you learn in a textbook or in school and then how that changes of like what real life actually says. So you are in a position now, JJ, of teaching a lot of this stuff up at the schoolhouse at Bragg. Uh, what are you, what are, what are like some of your key points when you're teaching like the fundamentals, the principles of this, of what you learned in real life doing this versus what you learned in school back whenever, 17 years ago? Yeah. Um, so uh, it's hard to reach back on Florida and remember anything that I was doing besides, um, listen to the BC boys, but, yep. um, what I, what I do know is it's kind of what we've already talked about. I don't want to tell you this linear, like this is how you pack. This is, this is the equipment that works. This is whatever. Um, so one thing that I learned that made me successful was just being adaptive and just not expecting any day to be the same um, or heck the same CCP we changed, you know, 3000 times from format to, to how I pack things to where things went. So that ease of maneuverability and not being in love with my plan, um, but also just not falling into some of the things you cover in your in your presentation, where you just falsely believe you know what's going on. Like so, you know, it's talked about in the black swan theories. It's talked about in a few of the other sections there, where you just assume you know what you're doing. So that's the first thing I talk about is don't believe you know what you're doing. Just try to continue to improve. The next thing is be flexible. Um, and then always tie it back to the things you already pointed out. Am I secure? Am I organized? Do I know where the patients need to go next? And do I know where my patients are by priority? If you've got those things figured out, it doesn't, like the rest of it will kind of put itself together. Yeah, I think the one part that I, I dug what you said is don't be in love with your plan, man. And that's the problem is people construct these these miraculous plans that work out really good on a whiteboard and this is how our agency is going to do it or this is how our organization is going to do it. Uh, you can't you can't really get more blowing smoke up your own ass really than that is being in love with your plan and then you continue trying to push your plan when you know it's not going to work. Yeah, and that's and what typically... Then you're on the ground dealing with this and you're like, if it's not working, just change it. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, yeah. what, that's what SOPs handcuff you on. Um, and the other side of it too that I want to go back to just because it's, uh, a buddy of mine's kind of dealing with it is law enforcement, like his agency is wanting them to be able to start training CCPs as far as setting them up but does not want his law enforcement guys being trained in any of the TC3 or TECC stuff. And I, it, you, how do you get to the, how do you, how even, do you get to the speed? You're dead. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Like, I don't even understand like that. Those two <laughs> things. Yeah. Yeah. It, it makes what sense. What do you do when you get there? So it's really, he wants to teach them how to go and like meet up and eat punch and pie. That's it, yeah, man. I mean, that's cool. I'm down. And, and they're assuming that you're going to have some sort of medical asset in that area. Can and, help in, you, yeah. and in the end, those medical assets on the civilian side never aren't, aren't going to be anywhere around there at first, right, mm-hmm. for a little while until you definitely have cleared <laughs> everything and considered it a warm zone or whatever the crap is. So you're going to have a, a percentage of people. You know, I can tell you San Bernardino right now, if that's, your, if that's how you're going to roll it, you definitely just gained quite a few people that would have died um, if you restricted your law enforcement to saying, oh, you can move them to a CCP. But, but you can't help treat. But don't help treat. Yeah. Which is insane. Like, I, I guess I don't even understand that. No. And these are first responders that, you know, it's not hard to do these initial treatments, treatments man. 
Right, but it, it just it just shows a fundamental misunderstanding of what a CCP is. Every they want to make it whether it be a turn it into a hospital, if they want to turn it into a, a medically owned location. But the bottom line is, it's not what it is. It's it is simply a control measure and a and a place that everybody can be consolidated at yeah. in a relatively safe and less chaotic manner. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. What else, man? I think that's all I got. Anything else? Burr? Nada. Nada. Crickets. Crickets, crickets, crickets. Um, anything else, JJ, man? No, I think that's it. I mean, obviously, I'm passionate, so I could just chat for hours or days about this. But um, as far as hitting the points and not getting too off the, uh, the path, I think that's pretty much all I got for you. Nice. And I think since you brought up the BC Boys, man, um, you know, I think I'd love to wrap this up with Eric B. and Rakim, man, right from the 80s. And don't sweat the technique. Nope, don't right? sweat it. They came out the the 12-inch single back in the 80s, man. But uh, no, that's it, man. Like I think everything we need to learn about CCPs, we can learn from um, gangster rap for the most part, especially DMX. Yeah, he just yeah. got out of jail. Did he get out of jail? Yeah, he got out of jail on Saturday. You know DMX is in our, in our realm over here by in Greenville, man. He's in Greer. I, I was not aware of that, but that's awesome. Yeah. I tell him to come. Yeah, so I know. Sing some, some raps here in, in the Bragg area. Let's let's do it. I know. I think we I need we hit it. But uh, all right, man. Listen, I appreciate it. Um, you're a pimp, and we'll get you on some other ones here in the in the close proximity, man, for the remainder of these podcasts. And you know, hopefully, uh, actually, you know what you could do real quick, man, is you get you actually had a oh, guest, yeah. a guest up there with you a couple weeks ago, man. Right? Didn't Ryan come visit you? Yeah, I did. Have a, a, yeah. A yeah. How I'm was like, that? How was that? I'm like helping out. Like I was like I walk into the thing. I was like, oh, who's the other instructor? And he's like, oh, it's just me. And he's like, okay, well, I guess I'll help run anesthesia. I was like Jesus Christ, <laughs> thrown into it. Well, yeah, we knew you were coming, so we figured like we could just have a couple of guys take some days off and vacation. You know, um, I felt like I need to go to some random meeting, aka take a nap on the couch. Yeah. Um, so. You know, but no, it was, it was really good to have them. It was nice to get some some outside feedback. Uh, we're just That's brand like, new course trying to put it together. Yeah, so. it's a great course. That's awesome. And, yeah. and what is like the overarching just just for the mill dudes that are listening stuff? What's what going is, on? Yeah, I, I know this is like, course, I like, talked to some of the group guys. And they still have some questions, kind of like where you are going with it and what's going so on. So what what was like the initial tasking, and then where are you looking to take your course? Yeah, so the initial tasking was very very similar to uh, to Ryan's initial tasking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and not exactly what anybody wanted. So, um, so they basically said, "Hey, here's the deal. You, you've had experience uh, with the CCP, and we've had other people, couple people fighting to get PFC and some other things trained. Um, and everybody knows that we do trauma over and over again every two years, and still suck at that most of the time. So, what about all these? Ketamine's a really things? confusing drug, by the way. Like, <laughs> it's." It's, it shouldn't be, but it is, right? It's complicated. So, uh, I mean, when in doubt, yeah. you just push slowly and watch what's happening. But hey. Can you just yeah. give that and to, like, they get seizures and then just aspirate? And then you should be good? Is that their therapeutic so. window? Okay. Yeah. All right. Bloodletting. Uh, right. That, sure. Like, I think pretty much everybody, whether they're injured or not, you name it, they could pretty much Im- improve their life with some ketamine um, in one way or another. Yeah. But either way, like, so basically what we do is we take a current condensed version of your surgical and anesthesia records and reports kind of section of the course, and we squeeze it into one week, which is basically what the uh, the general mandate and consensus became. Uh, we quickly learned that that's a great idea and at least improve some skills, but it doesn't really meet what command wants or what we're looking to do. So um, what we do now or what we're trying to do and finish up is a round-robin situation where you go to three, possibly four separate uh, surgical rotations uh, one is going to be sepsis, one is TBI, one is uh, crush, and the other one is going to be burn and or C-burn, just kind of switch it back and forth as the force needs it. Um, so you'll do some didactics in the beginning and go over CPGs, and then you go right into full-on um, scenario for 8 to 10 hours, and then write your nursing report and all the other things at the end. That way, you're still getting the experience of a long core like PFC type thing, but I don't have to keep you awake for 24 hours, which means I don't have to stay awake for 24 hours. Just sweet. It's <laughs> a bonus. It's awesome. So kind of at the end of this, their uh, guys are going to be able to check off all the boxes for their MPT stuff, correct? Yeah, so that's the other nice part is so you get um, a week worth of MPT credits. I, we fought pretty hard. We tried to go for two weeks. Um, seems like it's pretty much too hard of a sell at the beginning. 
But as I add some more nursing care and some other things, uh, we might be able to push it that far, but we'll see. So you get that. Usually you currently do it in conjunction with Sockamacy. So you'll do your Sockamacy rotation and then come straight to us for the final week. Um, so then you'll end up with your ATP cards good, your ALS or a- your BLS, ACLS, um, what else, your PEP. All that stuff gets covered in the Sockamacy side, and then we do your required surgical section and an MPT check off and we're working on your non-trauma module as well so basically one-stop shop buys you a year um doesn't buy the full four years but there's still ways you can continue to get those trainings on your own awesome so you also get a little bit of ultrasound to plug that too so um big big fan i think that people need to pay attention to ultrasound um even if you don't want it for your didactic purposes regional anesthesia is the way of the past that is now the way of the future um so I think that if you're not paying attention to that, you're, you're missing out big time. That was one of the things I was even talking with Sean after I came back from hanging out with you, the whole regional anesthesia thing. It's like, I think we have to start looking on how to hack that a little bit to make it more usable in a, in a kind of like a less linear environment because yeah, it's a powerful kind of, gun. It's a huge gun, and it's just a little complicado right now, so we're trying to, to narrow that down and maybe just focus, whether it be just focus training on on specific ones or just get better at, at understanding the, the principles. Yeah. But either way, yeah, it's, I think it's it's scarier than it really is, just like fasciotomies, which we do here. Like people are super scared of it, and it's um, I've literally walked my daughter through it. She's, you know, all of 12, and she can do it. So I'm pretty sure anybody else can do it. Well, I was just commenting earlier. I just I, – I didn't do – I won't do fasciotomies, but I got a giggly saw, so it just fixes it in. <laughs> There you go. Yeah. Well, you just do it for them. Just yeah. Be like, hey, let's just cut to the chase. Yeah. I, and I'm down with that. If you, I would rather you do that personally than uh, let me just have pain for a solid, you know, anywhere from three days to I know months on end, and have, then you cut my leg off anyway. Yeah. Like, yeah. I have ketamine and a saw will travel. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm down. I, I think I've got that in my car. I expect it to sticker. That was like my. I don't know that was, if I hold over all the time. But. That was like my worst nightmare. Is like someone's leg would be trapped in something. I wouldn't have a saw. I'm like, like, hey, doc, how do you get him out? I'm like, ah, just with a hatchet. I don't know. Crap. I didn't think about this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's true. I wouldn't want to. I, and I did. I think I just read of one about a guy who used the uh, those crimpers for like weeding in your garden. <sighs> I, yeah. Not not cool. I would not want that. So yeah, go ahead and you keep carrying that giggly saw just in case. I know. Like, I don't have a turn, tourniquet, but yeah, I got a giggly saw. Yeah, <laughs> the office, whether or not it's giggly or jiggly. Jiggly. So, um, awesome, right. man. Well, listen, I appreciate yeah. it. I think we'll probably yeah, be seeing you in a few weeks, so yeah. uh, we'll go have dinner or something. Awesome. Yeah, come up anytime. Mi casa, su casa, or su casa, mi casa, you know, sure. depending on who you are. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you, man. Awesome. Dude. Listen, I appreciate it, man. You uh, take it easy. All right, you too. All right, later, bud. Bye.